Welcome back, friends. You are listening to Ill Natured, a true crime podcast, and I'm your host, Alyssa. for y'all um we're gonna miss shelly bell very much but with her being super busy the last few weeks you know and um just a lot going on for her she hasn't been able and me too we just haven't been able to get together and record sit down and record um so i wanted to put some content out for y'all because Happy anniversary, guys. Happy freaking anniversary um, of ill-natured. A whole year ago, March 1st, 2020. Oh, by the way, I have my dog, Honey, here with me. Um, But in 2021, we... 2022? What year is it, guys? Oh, my word. In 2022, me and Michelle... Got together, recorded an episode, and created Ill Natured. And even though we have sort of been struggling the last few weeks or month or two or so, um, we really, really do want to get back into it. Um, because we love y'all, we love the podcast. I love doing it. I know Shell does, and we are just excited to jump back into it and put more of our energy into it. And so, I do want to go over a few things before we get into this episode. Um, So, like I said, I know that we've been a little spacey and stuff, and we're going to try to get back to normal posting schedule again. Um, With that being said, I do want to move our posting day to Wednesdays, um, starting now. Wednesdays, time to be determined. And... Also, I want to mention that there are going to be days like today where we might have to do a solo episode or our hubbies might join in, you know, whatever, because we're going to try to stick to our posting schedule like usual. And it is going to be, for the most part, just me and Shell, like you are all used to and all love. But... You know, life happens, and we're going to keep moving, you know, showbiz baby. So, we're going to stick to posting consistency is most important. Now, the next order of biz for this intro is to brag, brag a million and give a thousand thanks and just gush about everyone that has been listening um, and that continues to listen, especially because we've been, like, crappy the last few months. So, Thank you so much for making it possible and giving us the want to continue to pod and put out content for y'all. We would not have made it here without y'all. I would not have gotten my second win without thinking about y'all and want to give you everything that we have dreamed of for the podcast. So I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Um, just, you know, 
I can't believe y'all have continued listening to our stupid banter and our southern accents for an entire year. And I also can't believe that y'all can actually understand us. But congratulations. I think that should be um, a reward, you know, to be able to understand anything that comes out of my mouth anyways. Um, but for real, no joke. We just hope we can continue to be your ears guilty pleasure. And we hope you continue listening and loving us. Um, I'm going to plug our socials for everyone. And then I'm going to jump into, um, the episode for today. <laughs> so I want to plug our socials. Like I said, you can follow us on Instagram at ill natured pod. Um, you know, we are at about almost 200 followers. Um, I'm going to start getting on our socials more and trying to post more on Instagram because I haven't been doing the best with that. Um, but it is Ill Natured Pod. Go follow us, share us to your stories. And on Facebook, it's Ill Natured Podcast. We have our little logo or whatever as the header. You'll find that. We're almost at 700 members, y'all. I cannot believe that. Now, of course, all 700 of you people are not listening for some really odd reason. But you need to be, and y'all need to be interacting with our socials to boost the, you know, people being able to see our stuff the more you like it comment with it share it um the more other people will see it and be able to discover us which is what we're really really hoping is we get more listeners so facebook ill-natured podcast we have a tiktok that is ill-natured podcast um and of course our email which is, let me get it for you guys, illnaturedpod at yahoo.com. And I think that is all for now. Um, so let's kind of hop into our case today. So I wanted to give y'all a, like, a fun case. Well, not really fun, but sort of fun case. Um, or episode, if I will say. Um, since it's our one year anniversary episode and I'm doing a solo episode and it's kind of new for me and I'm really weird right now. Um, Kirby, what are you doing? But anyways, <clears throat> so since it's our one year episode, I wanted to just kind of talk about ill-natured and you might be like that's kind of boring but you'll see that we're gonna get into some of our updates of our cases and all that but first I wanted to give you some stats about the podcast before we start um so over the past year we've had over 5,000 plays for the pod which is I mean I don't know if that's a lot to you guys but that's a lot to me I mean, in a year, it might not sound like it, but for us posting, you know, every week and really slacking off the last two months, I'm so proud of y'all, and I'm so proud of us, and that's just such a big number. I'm just thankful. I'm just thankful for all of y'all, and it's really something that I would, I, I could dote on forever and just talk about a, a million times over. Um, now, our first episode that was released has 
over 300 listens and that is our most played episode as well that is on the carl isaacs and the all day murders um it's definitely not our best but i was proud of it because of course it's our first case um and it's the case that's extremely local to us and of course everyone around here definitely knows the story it's truly an intense wild story um and it's one, and, and the thing to me about it is like, it's not one that's ever talked about on any other podcast. And so I'm really like mad at myself that I feel like I didn't do as good of a job as I could have on that episode. But it is such a wild case because, as you know, if you've listened to the episode, Carl Isaacs, who I believe was only 19 years old at the time, had broken out of a prison up north with two other men. One happened to be a brother or a half brother of his. They broke out of this prison, they pick up his younger brother, who was 15 at the time, and they traveled to South Georgia, where they murdered six members of the Alday family as they entered the house over time on May 14th, 1973. Now, you know, like a couple of the members would come home, they were there ransacking the place, they murdered them, a couple more you know, one or two people came by, one more person came by, you know, and it was horrific, and it's probably undoubtedly the worst murder South Georgia, and possibly Georgia as a state has seen, I can't remember exactly, I do tell you in the episode, but as you guys know, it's been a year ago, and my memory can't even remember what's going on like yesterday, so if you want to go back and refresh your memory, I think I might. I don't know. I don't know if I can listen to that episode and listen to me talk. But you guys can. So go back and listen and um, give us some reviews on that. Tell me what you think about that case. That's probably, to me, was the most interesting case that I researched just because it was local to here. And there's people that I speak with on a daily basis that was living during this time and living in Donaldsonville. It's just a really crazy story, and I think everybody should go listen to it. So, anyways, um, over the last year, we have had 50 episodes. Two of those episodes were small little update episodes, um, and the other 48 or so um, are full-length episodes that we've given y'all that true crime cases we have worked hard on researching and trying to put together excuse me put together for y'all now lastly before i go on to the next part of the epi we are going to or i am going to give y'all our top five listen to episodes first we have carl isaacs and the all day murders as i've already said Number two is part one of the Fritzel case, which is another wild case to me. And another one that, I mean, I understand why that one's not covered as much because it's so brutal. Like, for it to be a dad, doing that to his daughter is so unimaginable. But it's, like... That's the thing is, like, nothing I've ever heard of even comes close to that, like, side of darkness and evil. It's just unreal. So, that case was truly 
truly bizarre. Um, and there's a movie based on that case that I, I watched and it's a reenactment of the like of the case, but it was hard to watch. Gosh, it was so hard to watch. But anyways, number three, Hannah Trulove and Patrice Andres. Number four, J.B. Beasley and Tracy Howlett. And lastly, number five is Brittany Drexler. Now, speaking of Brittany Drexel, we're about to get into um, the next part of the episode where I want to talk about the cases that we have covered on the podcast that were solved after we had covered it. So that were that would have been solved last year, and I want to give you some updates. Now, I know we did give you a update on Brittany's case. Um... Let me see when that was. In May is when we gave you the update. So that's when she was found. So I feel like I've got more information for y'all possibly. So let me jump into it. Now, I want to start with Brittany because she was the first case that we covered that was unsolved and then solved after we had covered it. And we originally did Brittany's disappearance on March 22nd of 2022. And then, of course, in... What did I say? That's when we covered it? It was March 22nd. And then we updated it in May. So her case was solved in May. So two months after. It was... 13 years since she had went missing. Now, let's go back over her case before we get into the updates, just in case you can't remember much. Now, in 2009, Brittany Drexel was a 17-year-old girl who was a pretty normal teenage girl. She had a boyfriend, she loved playing soccer, and she was extremely excited to be going to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina on spring break with a few older girls that she believed were her friends. Now, her mom, her parents in general, um, did not know she was going to South Carolina. She had asked her mom, and her mom said no. There was no adults going. She didn't know the girls. Like She was like, you're not going. And so, Brittany had tricked her and said, I'm going to go stay at a friend's house this week. I'll be, I mean, maybe 20 minutes away, 30 minutes away, whatever. But... She ended up going to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina on spring break, regardless of what her mother said. And then April 25th, 2009, um, she, you know, this was like the day before they were set to leave. And she had been feeling pretty lonely and isolated that trip because the girl she had went with had been kind of leaving her out. And she... The day that night, actually, she were, was texting the girls, and they were, like, just complaining over and, like, nitpicking over a pair of shorts. Like, they were just being mean girls. I don't know. They were just being just not cool. So, she ended up making friends with some douche club promoter or something. And the night that she left her hotel that she was staying at, she was going back to his hotel, because what happened was, she was at his hotel, and I can't remember, maybe his name was Paul or something, whatever. She was at his hotel 
The girls were texting her about the shorts, so she goes back to her hotel, drops the shorts off, and then leaves. And when she leaves her hotel, she was never seen again. There was never any trace of Brittany ever again. And there were a couple of suspects and theories, but nothing was ever solid and nothing ever led to Brittany or her remains. That is until 2019 and 2020 when investigators decided to look at footage of Ocean Boulevard once more. Ocean Boulevard was the street Brittany was last walking before she was believed to have been abducted that night. So, and you know, we went over in the case, there was surveillance footage all down Ocean Boulevard. They can see her movements for the most part. And so... They were able to track Britney's movements with that footage, of course, and they were able to pin her cell data from that night. So they're able to see as her cells walk, like her cells walking, but her cells moving and she's walking on the camera. They're able to tell that she is, you know, moving at a walking distance. And then there's about a one minute window when her speed changed to 55 miles per hour indicating that she was now in a vehicle now within that one minute time frame investigators were able to track down the only vehicle that had passed by within that time so they were doing some super fbi shit you know like they you know, see she's walking, they're tracking her time, tracking her time, tracking her time. They're like, okay, at this time is when she stopped, like, she changed speed. So she had to got, had to have gotten in this vehicle at this time. They go to the footage, look at this certain time frame of that, you know, when she got in the vehicle, that one minute time. I mean, it's a small, small time frame. They go and look, and there's only just, it just so happens. There, there's only one vehicle passing by. One. So, they easily tracked that down to the owner um, named Raymond Moody, about 60 years old at the time, who was already a person of interest. Just so happens, or... Hmm. Now, there's no mention of Raymond Moody in any casework, any police reports, um, before he was identified last year. And I'll get into that, why I think that is, in, in a minute. Now, in 2011, authorities at the time searched the motel room that he was living in, but nothing was ever found that linked him to Brittany's disappearance. So they had nothing to go on. Now, thankfully, in April of 2022, last year, of course, Angel Voss went to police. I don't know if she went to police or if they went to her or whatever, but regardless, she was able to, you know, put a wire on. She said that she would help in assisting police get Moody to talk about what happened to Brittany. So on May 4th of 2022, Raymond Moody ended up telling authorities what he claims happened to Brittany that night. He told police that him and his girlfriend, Angel, were driving down Ocean Boulevard when they saw Brittany and stopped to ask if she wanted to party with them. He said that she got in the vehicle willingly, but her family ended up denying that later on, and I, of course, choose to agree with the family. Um, I think it was possible that he said that to not get kidnapping charges or possibly not bring his girlfriend involved in it. Who knows? Um, he then said that one of them drove 
he said that the three of them drove to a campsite in Georgetown, which I believe is where um, Brittany's GPS went down because her phone ended up dying, I believe, was in Georgetown. He said that they smoked some weed and Angel just randomly ended up leaving. And that's when Moody said he wanted to have sex with her, but Brittany was not into this old Eustace bag looking self. Someone please get my Curse the Cowardly Dog reference. Just please and thanks. So when she denied his advances, he raped her. And then when he got scared about her telling someone, he panicked and strangled her. When she was dead, he wrapped her body in a blanket and then hid her in the woods. Now, Angel returns after this. And Moody said that she had just been picked up by some friends. So, I just have lots of questions for Angel. Like, so many questions. <laughs> you know, like, one, I'm curious as to why you left in the first place. And then, like, did you know what was going down? Or what was going to go down? Um, and do you believe this girl's friends just came and got her? Even though Georgetown was a, probably a good 30 minutes to an hour away from where she was at. Were you gone that long? I've just got, I've got lots of questions. And I just find it very convenient that she wasn't there for the rape and the murder. But then just shows back up and goes about her day. But Moody does insist later and but Moody does, interestingly enough, refer to Angel as a victim, too. It admitted that he was using her for years. And originally said that he would take authorities to Brittany's body if Angel was not held responsible in any way. So he was wanting to make sure that she, Angel, his girlfriend, would not be put in prison for it. But that still doesn't mean that she doesn't know what was going on. I'm just, I don't know. I just have questions. You guys tell me what you think. Um, Moody did later return to the campsite um, and move her body to a different location after he had murdered her. And then said after she was gone, he threw her phone in the river and the rest of her stuff she had with her that night, like her purse, was dropped in a Goodwill donation box. Now, the next day, he told authorities that he'd either cut up or burned all of her identification except for one that he was going to keep, but he eventually discarded that one, too. Now, it is important to note that Raymond Moody is a registered sex offender who spent 21 years in prison following a 1983 abduction and rape of a nine-year-old girl in California. Now, of course, he was arrested in October, he pled guilty for rape and murder of the 17-year-old girl. And in the victim statement before he was sentenced, Chad Drexel and her mother, Dawn, addressed the court. Now, Chad said he had searched tirelessly for his daughter and always held out hope that she would come back alive, saying through tears, quote, 13 years later, and I found out the horrible and disgusting way she was murdered. I'll never be able to walk Brittany down the aisle, and neither will her blood father or Dawn. She'll never be able to see my granddaughter, her niece, who is amazing. All that snatched away from us, end quote.
Dawn simply said that she hoped he would suffer for the rest of his life. And that is so sad to me. It's just so heartbreaking to think of the families in this situation. And, like, how he just took her away one day. And then, and then, he's got, you know, not much to say about it. I'll tell you what he says, but I just, I mean, I just don't think it's good enough, you know. It's not doing anything for her family. Um, but Raymond Moody was sentenced to, co to consecutive terms of 30 years on charges of kidnapping and criminal sexual conduct and a life sentence on the first-degree murder charge for kidnapping, raping, and strangling her. Now, Moody addressed the court saying, quote, I was a monster then, and I was a monster when I took Brittany Drexel's life. I don't have the words to express how I horribly I feel. I'm very sorry, end quote. Like I said, um, that does not bring her back. You cannot undo what you did. You're disgusting. You're so much worse than a monster. I mean, I can't even put into words the type of sickening feeling I have uh, thinking about you, Raymond. So thank you. Um, thankfully, he is behind bars, and there is some sort of closure for her family. Um, but they still do not have her baby, you know, their baby back. So is it really closure or what? I mean, they found her body. We were able to, they were able to put her to rest, but they really want her back, of course. Alrighty, guys. So, we are going to move on to the next case, and that is going to be the case of the boy in the box. Now, this was a very interesting case to research and even more exciting when the young boy was finally identified late in 2022. Of course, we're going to give you that brief overview of the case before we jump into that update. In February of 1957, a young boy's lifeless body was found in a cardboard box, seemingly just tossed away like trash. There were huge efforts in trying to find the identity of the boy and what exactly had happened to him, but nothing was ever concrete. All the authorities could say for sure was he was in between the ages of four and seven and was clearly abused. I mean, he had bruises all over his body and broken bones. It did take over 60 years, but the boy was finally identified as Joseph Augustus Zarilli. And he was born on January 13, 1953, making him only four years old when he passed. In 2019, they got permission to exhume his body so they could do modern DNA testing and see if there would be any, you know, leads to track down relatives. And bam, there's a hit. Now, during December of 2022 is when Philadelphia police revealed Joseph's name, but they did keep the parents' names to themselves. Um... He had some brothers and sisters that were still living, although his parents did pass away. Now, people were able to piece things together, and NBC News in Philly named his parents as Augustus Zarilli and Mary Elizabeth Abel, also known as Betsy, to her friends and family. Now, the thing is, according to NBC News 10, Betsy married someone else shortly after Joseph was born, and in 1956, they had a daughter. Then, not even a year later, Joseph's body would be found in the bassinet box. 
So, to me, I mean, we don't really know anything else. Like, we still don't really have any answers on, you know, how or why um, or who, really. I mean, I would believe it would be his mother, but we really don't have any concrete answers. So, with that being said, um, you know, there's still a lot of things we don't know at this time. Thankfully, this baby has his name now and can rest in peace in an identified grave. And hopefully, we will soon have answers as to what really happened to him and why and how and all that. Now, as far as the rest of the episode goes, guys, I really don't have anything else planned for y'all. Um, we didn't really have any more any unsolved cases that had been solved. Um, I, I mean, I guess I can just briefly talk about some of my favorite episodes um, that we covered. So, one of the ones that I've always kind of been stuck on was the case of Susan Powell. It's always blown my mind that, first of all, how Josh was able to even be alone with his children, um, at, you know, considering, all things considering, uh, it's, that's just wild in itself, um, and her just never being, it's just a, it's, it's a horrible story and one that's always stuck on my mind, one I can never just, I just always am, you know, interested in it, and I could always read about it. Um, another case that we found that was, like, really crazy to me was the Stainer case. Now, that one we did um, in July of 2022, and it's about two brothers who are connected to true crime in two totally different ways. Um, there's actually a Hulu documentary on it, um, and it, that was just really, that's a really bizarre case. Um, Stephen um, Stainer was seven years old and he was kidnapped when he was leaving school. Um, and then years and years, years later in like 1990s or 99, maybe 98, something like that, his older brother, Carrie, um, would turn into like a serial killer. So it's very two sides of the spectrum, but really bizarre case to say the least. And, um, one last one that I want to mention is probably the one that I spent the most time on in 2022. I put the most work into it. I was very proud of the work I did and that would be the Zodiac Killer. Um, so guys, I still have no idea who I think the Zodiac Killer is and nobody else has even told me what they think either. So y'all need to jump in on that conversation because I need to know what you guys think. I need to know which suspect you think is most likely. I mean, it's just... Oh, man. The Zodiac case is just one that... It's just so bizarre. So bizarre, guys. But 
that's really it. And this was not that great of an episode. I miss my co-host, so I'm ready to record with her again. And I'm ready to put out content with her. And I hope we get on a better schedule and, um, you know, get back in our groove. So, I just want to thank you guys for listening. And I hope this was just enough for y'all. Um, just enough. So, y'all have a wonderful day. We will catch you guys on the flip side. Peace.